Welcome to the first episode of the MSology podcast on multiple sclerosis called Disease Activity and Progression Matter. I'm Stephen Manners, editor of MSology. This program has received unrestricted funding from Novartis Pharmaceuticals Canada. In this episode, we're going to focus on disease activity in MS. And here to discuss this topic, we're very pleased to welcome Dr. Paul Giacomini, a neurologist and director of the MS Clinic at the Montreal Neurological Institute in Montreal, Quebec. Dr. Giacomini, welcome. Thank you, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. So to start off, can you give us a brief overview of what's, what's going on in MS? What is the disease process? And what symptoms do people have and why are they having them? Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's an important topic. Um, so MS is thought to be an autoimmune disease. Uh, an autoimmune disease is one in which the, uh, the patient's immune system is uh, inappropriately activated to target its own cells. And there are a variety of different autoimmune diseases that affect different um, organs and, and cell types in the body, type 1 diabetes, Crohn's disease, uh, Hashimoto's thyroid disease. But MS is the disease in which the autoimmune process actually attacks um, cells within the brain. And so that, that's really the essence of what's happening in MS, uh, where you have an influx of immune cells that actually target different parts of the brain. And uh, when those brain areas or, or foci, this little focus of inflammation happens in the brain, that's what actually leads to the patient's outward symptom. And this is why in MS, the symptoms can be somewhat unpredictable because the symptoms are going to be derived based on the area of the brain that's being targeted by the inflammation. Okay. Uh, when a person first comes to you and you may tell them they have active disease, what do you mean by that exactly? So, yeah, so this is a, this is a term we, we use a lot in MS. Um, typically, that means when someone's having uh, either relapses, which are sometimes called MS attacks, um, or, or like new symptomatic episodes. Uh, and sometimes we can even use active disease to describe someone who might be clinically uh, stable. So not having any new clinical symptoms, but may have changes happening on their, uh, on their MRI scans. All this to say, active disease, in my mind, and it's certainly in my practice, is, is undesirable. We want patients to be in the remission phase if they're a relapsing remitting patient, which means that the disease is as quiet as we can make it. And so active disease is, is in some respects um, a sign that, you know, we should be more aggressive uh, with our treatment strategy to try and, uh, you know, install a remission in that patient as much as possible. So would you say then, you know, when you say clinically active and so on, um, so when a person's having a relapse, that does that correlate to a flare-up of their inflammation in the brain? Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, as I, as I was mentioning a bit earlier, what happens is we get these waves of inflammatory cells that enter into the brain and cause a, a you know, this is, this is what is sometimes referred to as a lesion on MRI or a plaque, uh, you know, traditionally on, on, on the old... Uh, pathological series. This is like a, 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 an area in the brain which is affected by this inflammation. 
And depending on where this is happening in the brain and the spinal cord and the optic nerve, somewhere else, it's going to produce symptoms based on the, the you know, uh, tracts or areas of the brain that are involved. So if it's the optic nerve, this may be an optic neuritis where the patient experiences blurred vision. If this happens in the spinal cord, we call that a myelitis, uh, and that usually affects the limbs either in, you know, with motor weakness or, or sensory symptoms. Um, so, so these areas um, of inflammation are, are what produce the, the MS relapses or, or MS attacks. And when you order an MRI, um, what are you looking for? Can you actually see disease activity? Yes, absolutely. So curiously, um, sometimes a patient can appear outwardly well, and I see patients in the clinic, and they appear fine. They haven't had any new symptoms or any new relapses. And we add the MRI as an additional sort of surveillance tool because the MRI is actually going to be a lot more sensitive to picking up what we call subclinical disease activity. Subclinical means that there may be ongoing disease activity. So you may be developing these new little spots in the brain of focal inflammation, but they may not actually be producing any outward symptoms of which the patient is aware. So, right. so this is kind of like a, a deeper look um, in, in a way, uh, you know, a, a closer surveillance to, to detect any evidence that, you know, the disease may be active. Uh, and in fact, some studies estimate that for every clinical attack, you may have between eight and 10 new lesions. So the MRI adds a lot of additional information. Um, how I sometimes explain this to patients, because it's difficult sometimes for patients, well, they say, I, I feel fine. How can I have, you know, two or three new lesions on my MRI scan? And I explain it in terms of traffic. So, you know, sometimes you can have a traffic jam on, on a very important you know, traffic artery, a major boulevard, or a bridge, or a highway, and that's going to cause all sorts of ripple effects in, in the traffic pattern, right? If there's a car that stalls on the Champlain Bridge here in Montreal, the effects of that are going to be felt far and wide. Sometimes you have a traffic jam in a small side street in a suburb or in a small area, and that may not cause much impact on the overall traffic pattern. And so these small little side streets are sort of a way of, of thinking about these lesions that don't produce symptoms. But if you have enough of these little traffic jams in these small side streets, eventually that's going to lead to a slowing of the overall traffic. So that's why it's important to know about the activity that's happening on the MRI, even if it's not producing clinical symptoms, because it's still evidence uh, that the disease is probably not as well controlled as we'd like it to be. No. There, there are many disease-modifying therapies that you use to treat MS. So, so what exactly are these medications doing with respect to disease activity? Yeah, so that, that's, that's an excellent question. Um, so we've been very fortunate in the MS world to have a continued expansion of our therapies. Um, you know, just since I've been around in the MS world in the last 15 years, I think there's been uh, 12 new therapies approved during that time. Uh, and I think we're up to almost 20 different options to offer our patients. And most of the therapies really target the uh, relapsing biology, you know, the, the, the essentially the part of the disease that produces the MS relapses. 
and they do this to varying degrees. But the idea of taking an MS medication is to reduce the risk of having relapses, but and also to reduce the risk of having new MRI lesions, even if those MRI lesions are not uh, causing overt symptoms. Because the idea is the more you can prevent not just clinical attacks, but also new MRI lesions from forming, the longer you can maintain good function and the, and the more you can minimize the impact of the MS on, on people's lives. So if, for example, you started somebody on a therapy, uh, would you see a change in their MRI over time? Would, you, would, would the, uh, no more lesions appear? Yeah, so, so you know, that's a very good point. So you know, one of the things I, I try and do with my patients in my own practice is, is really explain to them what the goals are with these therapies. So unfortunately, most MS lesions are permanent. They're like little scars and they will, um, will not disappear on subsequent MRI scans. What we're hoping to achieve when we start someone on a therapy is to prevent further uh, new lesions from forming and further attacks from happening. Now, even the most potent of the medications we have are not 100% effective. Um, so they, you know, they may reduce the risk of attacks by about 50 or 60%, and they may reduce the risk of new lesions by you know, approximately 80%. And, and that's tremendous from where we were a couple of decades ago with what we could offer patients. But unfortunately, um, you know, we can't expect the disease to go into complete remission. Hopefully there are periods where there's no new lesions and no new attacks. That would be wonderful news. Um, but unfortunately, the lesions um, do not disappear. And, and we have to warn our patients and be honest that um, the expectation is that there, even if you're on a powerful therapy, that there may still be a risk of new lesions and attacks in the future. But still, taking a therapy is a worthwhile thing to do because it's going to make the, the probability of you of being um, stable that much higher. Okay, so, so just to recap, MS is, is primarily an inflammatory activity that going on in the brain and you use these medications to target that inflammation to, to reduce the inflammation. Is that correct? Absolutely. So, you know, most of these therapies act on some uh, part of the immune system. And the idea is either to dial down that inflammation or prevent the inflammatory cells from getting into the brain or to curb that inflammation in some way, shape or form. And ultimately, what you're trying to do is prevent those waves of inflammatory cells from getting into the brain, causing those lesions and, and causing those relapses, which can be so disabling to patients and often leave um, some permanent sequelae, some permanent uh, residual impact on, on a patient's function. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you know, these therapies are, are, are seatbelts or anti-lock brakes in a car. You know, it's not necessarily going to prevent an accident from happening, but there, there are tools that we can do to minimize the impact, minimize the, the damage that, that can happen uh, from these attacks, and, and hopefully prevent accidents to a large extent as well, in my analogy, to reduce the risk of having attacks and to minimize the, the impact of those attacks on someone's physical and clinical well-being. So, if a person started a medication, they might expect, I guess, to have fewer relapses or no relapses, but they wouldn't necessarily 
have an improvement of, of symptoms that they might be having, such as uh, tingling or pain. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And, and again, something that I think is very important, uh, you know, when, when I speak with patients, I always try and be very honest and realistic about expectations. Um, so, you know, as I was mentioning, the, the, these plaques or these lesions on, on the MRI are, are actually like little scars that are in the nervous system. And, and they unfortunately don't go away. Um, the, you know, when, when someone recovers, oftentimes the brain can compensate. There is a certain amount of capacity for, for the nervous system to reorganize itself and minimize these, these sort of clinical impacts. But uh, oftentimes there is some degree of permanent leftover symptoms following an attack. And that may be a little bit of weakness or, or you know, a limb that may fatigue uh, with long walks or some residual visual difficulties after an optic neuritis, a little bit of blurring of vision or washing out of the color, or, or as you were saying, Stephen, some residual tingling. And most of the time when you start a new therapy, these kinds of things are, are not going to improve. Um, and, you know, there are part of, of the treatment um, regimen that, that many of us do when we're caring for our patients is is having therapies really geared, what we call disease-modifying therapies. These are the, the medications that are really there to prevent the disease from getting worse. Uh, but we also think about symptomatic therapies. So if someone's having stiffness or spasticity in their legs, we may recommend a, a you know, medication to a muscle relaxant, for instance, or if they're having some you know, tingling and, and painful um, you know, burning symptoms in their feet, we may recommend another type of medication to help treat that, that type of neuropathic pain. So, and I also encourage a lot of my patients to do a lot of non-medical interventions as well. You know, muscle stretching is good for, for uh, spasticity. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, when people are more symptomatic, it may be reflecting that they haven't had enough rest or they may be dehydrated and they may be pushing themselves too hard. So, you know, the treatment um, options for multiple sclerosis are really geared both at, at you know, the disease process itself, so reducing the risk of relapse, uh, reducing the risk of new MRI lesion formation, but also really at making their, uh, the patient's day-to-day life um, as, as uh, you know, minimally impacted as possible. So things to help with symptoms and things to help them manage the, the the deficits that they do have from previous MS attacks. And I think when you approach things with that sort of holistic approach, uh, that's the best recipe for, for helping someone live with this illness. Okay, so, so suppose somebody goes on a medication that's meant to, to suppress their disease activity, and then they, they're still having relapses, for example, uh, or maybe you're seeing new lesions on their MRI. Um, so, so what does that mean? What do you do about that? Yeah, so, so that's an excellent question. So uh, as we were saying before, there's a variety of therapies on the market. Um, some are, uh, you know, less effective um, at treating MS, but may have a much more favorable risk and side effect profile. And oftentimes, uh, when patients are first diagnosed, they are started on what we would call a first-line medication. So they, this may be a modestly effective therapy that has a much safer uh, side effect and, and risk profile. So this is something that may not expose them to 
risk of infection or, or, or other risks as much. Um, but it's very important when a patient starts on a medication that we evaluate how well they're responding to that medication. And this is one of the reasons why we see our patients, you know, ideally a couple of times a year and even do MRIs, you know, uh, every 12 to 18 months uh, as, as is recommended by the Canadian treatment recommendations. Because what we're looking for is any evidence that the person may not be responding to that therapy. And we know from previous studies that if you start on an MS therapy and within the first year or two of being on that therapy, you show signs of your illness progressing. So either with having relapses or having ongoing MRI activity, that that's, that's a sign that you're probably not going to do great on this therapy in the long run. So, you know, when I start someone on a new therapy, we generally try and follow them uh, closely in the first few years to, to really get a sense of how well they're responding. That's not just to say, um, you know, how the patient themselves is tolerating it. That's another important consideration. Are they having side effects? Are they, are they able to be compliant with the medication? Are they taking it as they should? But also, you know, if they're doing all those things, if they're tolerating it and taking it, you know, uh, you know regularly, how well is that medication doing what we expect it to do? Or is it really keeping the, the MS well-controlled both clinically and on MRI? And if it's not, that's an important uh, piece of information because for us, that's a signal that we need to change this person onto a different therapy and possibly a more potent or what we would call a second-line therapy, a therapy that's probably more effective against MS but may carry additional risk of things like infections and, and other serious risks. So, so when you're working up a treatment plan um, and, and through this process, you're, you're kind of fine tuning what you're doing according to uh, symptoms and relapses and what's going on in the MRI and that sort of thing. Uh, for you to, to be effective, uh, would it be fair to say that um, both you and the MS patient have half the story? The person knows about their relapses and symptoms and you know what's going on with their, their neurological exam and their MRI. And so you're working together to try to create an optimal. Yes, that, that, that's that. absolutely true. I think uh, doctor-patient relationships are, are exactly that. They're relationships. And, and, you know, I always tell my patients, look, we're on the same team. And, you know, we rely on each other to, to be honest and, and share important insights. So I, you know, even though neurology is an examining specialty and we rely a lot on the neurological exam, I put a lot of stock in what my patients are telling me. If they're telling me they're having new symptoms, you know, even, even with uh, the neurological exam, a patient's always going to, you know, be able to be aware of what's happening in their own body to a much greater extent than, than I can determine with my MRI or, or with my tuning fork and reflex hammer. So, I think it's very important to have good communication um, with between the, the patient and the physician. Uh, and, and, you know, again, we make decisions jointly as well. So if, if someone's telling me for whatever reason, you know, they're not tolerating the medication or that, you know, even if they're tolerating the medication, they're having more new symptoms, um, that, that's an important piece of information for me to act on. And, you know, conversely, I think patients need to know from, from their physicians what's going on uh, objectively. So, you know, they're experiencing stuff uh, and, and, they, and they may be feeling fine and not experiencing any outward symptoms. But that's where, you know, the knowledge that I have 
uh, can help influence treatment decisions. Because if I see that their MRI is not behaving as I would like it to, uh, that I think is an important signal. And, and I've had these discussions with patients, even if they're feeling great and doing well on a medication. But if I detect, look, there's you know multiple new lesions on their MRI, to me, that's a warning sign that this is, this is not a therapy that is responding um, as well as we'd like it to. And so, you know, this is a time that we have to get together and make some tough decisions about what to do and, and whether to switch therapies or not. So uh, absolutely, this is a collaboration. And, uh, and it's very important, I think, for patients and physicians to, to have that good communication and, and to be very frank and honest with, with each other, uh, because that's the way to get the best results. That's terrific. Unfortunately, that's about all the time we have for this episode. You've been listening to Dr. Paul Giacomini, Director of the MS Clinic at the Montreal Neurological Institute, talking about disease activity. Thank you, Dr. Giacomini, for joining the podcast. Always a pleasure, Stephen.